Morning Blitz purists, fret not when you look at today's episode runtime of over 15 minutes. Today's show is as quick and to the point as ever, but we've double booked it with experts who are here to break down the number 16 and number 15 teams and the 24-7 Sports Summer Top 25. It's June 20th. My name is Connor Tapp, and you are listening to the 24-7 Sports Morning Blitz. Up first on the program is a team that just had its star quarterback taken number three overall in the NFL draft, but otherwise returns plenty of talent. Joining us now to preview the 2018 USC Trojans is Ryan Abraham of USCfootball.com. Ryan, we have USC checking in at number 16 in our summer top 25. Just so the listener knows, you were not given a ballot for this, but if you had been, is that about where you would have put them? Yeah, I think that seems about right. Maybe in the, you know, a little bit higher than that, 2018, 16. So I think something like that is fair. I think there's a lot of talent coming back on this team. I think it's going to be a much deeper defense than we've seen in the last couple of years. But with that question of quarterback and what are they going to do to replace Sam Darnold, uh, you know, they got some options, but I think there's enough questions there that I wouldn't really put them much higher than, than where you guys have them. If I had to guess ahead of time which little biographical factoid USC fans are going to be sick of hearing about during TV broadcasts this year, I'd probably say it's going to have something to do with JT Daniels reclassifying to the class of 2018. I know he's on campus now, uh, got a good bit of experience, if not necessarily playing experience ahead of him. How likely is it that he eventually becomes a starter by the end of the season? Yeah, I think some fans, if you're on our message boards a lot, are already sick of hearing about that. So, <laughs> But certainly during the season, if he ends up being the starter, that's going to be the go-to thing. I mean, I think you hear there's always going to be something. I think with Sam Darnold, that his grandfather was a Marlboro man. There's things like that you're going to hear like over and over again on different broadcasts. I think that's what you're going to say. He should be a senior in high school, and he's actually starting at USC. So uh, I think it's fairly likely. I think early on, before the spring started, I wouldn't have given JT Daniels a great chance at it. I think, you know, the way Matt Fink played in the couple games he was in last year, I think uh, Clay Helton felt pretty confident about him. And I think Jack Sears, who was Sam Darwin's backup in high school, uh, was really talented redshirting last year. I think they both were going to have some opportunities in the spring to kind of take the reins and, and win that job over. Unfortunately for them, neither one of them really wowed anybody in the spring. So I think that left the door open. And then with JT Daniels trying to graduate early, we thought, well, maybe he's not even be around until August. Well, he's already on campus, so it gives him more time to kind of win that job. So I think everything's sort of lining up for JT Daniels to win it. Just I don't think anyone's taking it away from him. Now it's going to be up to him. He's still going to have to impress people. And so far after one workout we've seen, he's been pretty impressive. Whether it's because of injury or inexperience or maybe they just signed in the class of 2018 like Daniels, who are some players that might not be well-known outside of diehard USC fans that you think a national audience might have caused to become more familiar with by the time the season's out? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a few. I think if you look at JT Daniels' teammate, Amon Rossi Brown, he was a five-star wide receiver uh, at Modern Day High School as well. I think there's two solid receivers at USC, Tyler Vons and Michael Pittman. After that, there's, there's some talent, but there's a lot of openings there. I think you, you might see Amon Ross St. Brown just 
kind of wow everybody and get on the scene. I think if you're looking at, at the running back position, we got to see some Stephen Carr last year. He was out for the spring. He's got superstar potential. So you know they have to replace Ronald Jones, who was a you know almost a 1600 yard rusher last year. I think he's got a really good shot. And I think on the defensive side of the ball, he's a redshirt senior, Jonathan Lockett. Um, you know was out last year. He had a couple of hip surgeries. I think people haven't really you know, are not expecting much from him because he's been around the program a lot, but he's really been impressive to me, and I think he's one of those guys that could have a breakthrough year that you might not have heard of him before, but he's probably going to end up being the starting nickelback, and I think he's going to have a really good shot this year. South Point Casino has set the over-under for USC's win total at 8.5 for 2018. That's regular season, not including bowls. If the season started tomorrow, would you be inclined to take the over or the under there? I think I would go the over for that. Eight and a half seems a little low. I mean, this is probably still the most talented team in the Pac-12. I think there's you know, certainly some questions like we talked about. Uh, they got a couple tough road trips early on at Stanford and, and at Texas. Um, they could you know, feasibly be one and two, but still make a run and, and win a lot of the games afterwards. I think you saw something similar in 2016. They were one and three and still made it to the Rose Bowl. So I think this team could start off slow uh, and start off one and two, but I could see them making a run. Talent alone, I mean, they should be able to win a lot of games. I think Utah or Arizona have a shot in the Pac-12 South, but USC is probably still going to be the favorite. So I think I would go slightly over on the eight and a half. If USC does exceeding, end up exceeding that eight and a half by a good bit, let's say 10, 11 wins in the regular season, it, what would you say would have to go super right for USC in order for them to hit the upper end of what's possible for them this season? I think you've got to start with a quarterback. So it's either going to be you know Jack Sears, Matt Fink, or a JT Daniels just comes in and takes command. And I think sometimes... Guys aren't all that impressive in practice, but once they take the field on Saturdays, you see them shine. And I think if one of those guys, whoever gets the starting job, is able to do that, I think that would give USC a really good shot. I think defensively they're going to be fine. We'll probably see more of a rotation than we normally do. They, you know, Clancy Pendergast likes to play 11, 12, 13 guys. There's, there's going to be a lot more guys he can trust. I think you'll see more of a rotation. It should be a deep, talented group, but you've got to have – you know, for for some offenses, you don't need the you know a, a starting quarterback that's going to get drafted by the NFL. But every quarterback at USC gets drafted. If you don't have somebody that can be the great signal caller and, and make this offense run, I just don't think this team has the makeup to be like a defense run you know running game sort of team. Uh, you know, you could win maybe at LSU or Florida, some places like that sometimes. But I think at USC, you need to have that stellar quarterback so they need that play if they if they're going to get 10 11 wins it's going to have to be because they get stellar quarterback play ryan abraham is the owner and publisher of uscfootball.com you can find him on twitter at inside troy thanks ryan hey anytime thank you Let's keep it moving right along with the team that USC battles every year for the jeweled shillelagh the number 15 Notre Dame fighting irish Pete Sampson of Irish Illustrated joins us now to preview Notre Dame's 2018 season. Pete, we have Notre Dame checking in at number 15 in our summer top 25. After TCU, Notre Dame had the second highest standard deviation in terms of where our voters ranked them. Uh, The Irish were as high as ninth and as low as 23rd. Notre Dame fans, if you're listening, I was the ninth. Um, Do you have any guesses as to what it is about this Notre Dame team that invites so many differing opinions? 
I mean, the quarterback position for sure. I mean, it, what you saw from Brandon Wimbush early in the year behind a couple of top 10 picks on the offensive line as a runner was great. And what you saw from him at the end of the year as a passer was, was really bad. So I don't know too many teams that are challenging for the college football playoff or, or just teams that feel people feel really certain about that have the kind of quarterback question marks that Notre Dame has. So I, I, I'm not surprised at all at the big deviation there. I'm, I feel like I, I have so many questions about Notre Dame that I'm just not going to have any answers <laughs> until September 1st rolls around and plays out against Michigan. Uh, but at that point, I think we'll probably learn a ton about what Notre Dame could be. Do you think that there are any reasons to think that Wimbush's play might be a little bit more consistent, even with losing those offensive linemen? Yeah. I mean, there are reasons for it. I just, he would have to make such a big jump for Notre Dame to be, you know, a, a ten-win team and have him carry them. Um, you know, if the defense takes a big step with nine starters back, even though they have a first-year coordinator, then yeah, maybe Notre Dame could sort of be more of a low-scoring, grinded-out type of team. But I just, you just don't see teams make the playoff without really good quarterback play and. Really good quarterback play can't be a forty nine point seven percent completion percentage. It needs to be, you know, pushing sixty percent. So you think a ten percent jump in completion percentage is huge. Um, so will Wimush be better? Yeah, I, but I just don't know how much better he's going to actually be. Clark Lea takes over for Mike Elko as defensive coordinator on the other side of the ball. Uh, what can you tell us about his defensive philosophy and how Notre Dame's defense might look different compared to previous seasons? Well, I think Clark Lee's defensive approach is going to be basically Mike Elko's defensive approach, and I, that was the biggest selling point for him getting the job. Certainly experience is not a mark in his favor um, being a first-year coordinator, but I think after the Brian McGorder disaster, Notre Dame did not want to install a third defensive system in three years. So you stick with Lee, who was an Elko disciple along the way. They worked together at a few stops. Um, so it's a lot of 4-3 slash 4-2-5, if you want to count the, the rover position as sort of a hybrid safety outside linebacker. Um, so the players can build on what they got started on last year, which I, I think the defense – overachieved in a lot of ways last season and now they bring almost everybody back uh, including their two inside linebackers who I think have star potential and NFL potential and Tavon Cody and Drew Tranquil so it, it could be um, it could be a really good defense one that I think surprises some people whether it's due to injury or inexperience or maybe they even just signed with the class of 2018, who are some players that might not be super well-known outside of diehard Notre Dame fan circles that you think the national audience might become a little bit more acquainted with this year? I think uh, defensive end Khalid Kareem is going into his junior year, played fairly well as a freshman, had some moments as a sophomore last fall, uh, but he's going to play a ton uh, that's a position where they need a new starter after Jay Hayes did a graduate transfer to Georgia. Um, so I think Kareem could have a really good year. Outside of that, um, you know, on the offensive side of the ball, I know that the coaching staff talks up Miles Boykin a lot. He had the spectacular game-winning catch against LSU in the bowl game. But, you know, to me, it's if they can get Chase Claypool, who's a junior receiver from Canada, to sort of 
get everything figured out, then I, I think he has the potential to go from a guy nobody's really heard of outside of Notre Dame to um, maybe a second-day NFL draft pick in the course of one year. I, I, he's got that level of six foot four, two twenty-five basketball player can go up on a high point of football athleticism, but he's sort of got to get his head together and get in the playbook a little bit more. So it's Khalid Kareem defensive end, wide receiver Chase Claypool. Those are those are two guys I think nationally have a chance to really make a move this year. Bet DSI, or actually, I'm sorry, uh, South Point Casino has the over-under win total projection for Notre Dame sitting at 9.5. Pete, uh, if the season started tomorrow, would you be taking the over or the under there? I would bet the under if we're just talking a 12-game regular season. Um, Yes. I I think that that, that's a high number for an over-under. I I think Notre Dame has 10-win potential. Um, but I think that they're more likely to go nine and three than 10 and two. And I, I'm not sure if I could sit here and say that they're as well, I think they're more likely to go 10 and two than eight and four, but not by a lot. Um, so it's a good schedule by Notre Dame standards. I think it, it opens well. If you get Michigan, then really you should be four and oh, when Stanford comes in at the end of September, uh, Notre Dame has historically done pretty well against Stanford at home uh, and if you get that one then you're going to Virginia Tech uh, night game late game most likely it could be a great atmosphere there so it's like so much with Notre Dame it all comes down to the Michigan game and that is historically true around here if they get that one then they have a chance to get the 10 wins if they don't then I just don't see how that happens if Notre Dame does end up beating that over-under projection, say getting 10 or 11 wins, um, what do you think will have clicked and gone so right for them to be a little bit better of a team than maybe we were expecting uh, here in June? I mean, I think the defense would have to overachieve even by optimistic standards. I, I think it should be a pretty good group. But then I think Wimbush would have to just take a massive step forward in the offensive line, you know, down Mike McGlinchey and Quentin Nelson, who are in the NFL, I don't think it's safe to just assume they're going to go from being the nation's best offensive line to assume they'll be a top 10 group. I think that group is going to have to improve a little bit from what we saw in the spring. So I think they're going to have to run the ball without Josh Adams, and maybe not as effective as they did last year, but that offensively they're just going to have to find some new skill playmakers to to carry the load in a way that um they just they kind of struggled to frankly last year so defense has to overachieve i think that is that's where i would put my money on but then wimbush will really really have to take a big step forward for Notre Dame to get to, to 10 or 11 wins Pete Sampson covers Notre Dame for Irish Illustrated you can find him on Twitter at Pete Sampson underscore thanks Pete All right, thank you. Hey, look at that. We're only just now going over 15 minutes as I'm saying these words right now, so the Morning Blitz guarantee is unbroken in spirit, if not in fact. The Morning Blitz is a daily podcast that gives you all the college football news you need in a tidy 10 to 15 minute package with sometimes going a little bit over. For each installment of the Summer Top 25, there is a companion article over on 247sports.com with additional commentary and analysis that you did not get on the podcast. Next up is the number 14, Stanford Cardinal.